you see this? That's your new target, unless it's not big enough. Hello, I am Daryl. And I'm Petros. And welcome to episode four of Getting Defoe You. From Heaven's Gate to the present day, join us as we get to know Willem Defoe in this dedicated Defoe podcast. Well, 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 episode four. Here we are. Here we are. I'm I, I'm currently hacking into your computer, Daryl. Can you see that? Can you can you can can you can you see me doing that? Are you, I can see you deleting the files as I'm trying to hack into the mainframe here, Daryl. I am spamming the print screen button as we speak. One of the CIA's top minds. This was just how computer wars went down in the nineties. It was a different ball game, not like these QAnon. Uh, chodes they don't know how it's done they've got no respect for the classics <laughs> yeah because we're looking at 1993s 1993 1994 we're we're in the 90s we're 1994 1994 let's go for 1994 that sounds right clear and present danger with harrison ford um the guise of Russell Bailey from the Not Just for Kids podcast, but what do what do we get into apart from apart from hacking the mainframe? What else do we get into in this episode, Daryl? Well, this is quite an interesting one, mostly on the basis that we quickly expose ourselves as being absolute film plums, having no idea that this was this was part yeah. three in a trilogy, and we had absolutely no idea. Not Grisham pilled. We're not. We're not. We're not. We're not. We're not John Grisham pilled enough to. Is it John Grisham? See, that's not even John Grisham, is it? It's uh, old, uh Tom Clancy. Tom not Clancy pilled. Old uh, Mr. Splinter Cell, Rainbow Six, Jack Ryan, as we'll get into himself. What the hell? What the hell do we know? Just, just enough to uh, make us sound credible on this episode, apparently. <laughs> yeah, but, but not one I'd heard of before. But interesting, because I always forget that Harrison Ford does other stuff, and he's not just Indiana Jones and Han Solo. So this is what a treat this was. Yeah, he's if he's not if he's not Han Solo in, if he's not swinging about space or swinging about the jungle. <laughs> Apparently now he's, uh, he's 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 swinging about the the therapy rooms on on, on Apple TV Plus. I don't know why I've just brought this up. I feel like I'm doing a plug for <laughs> not an ad. No, no, we are not sponsored by Apple TV Plus. But I wish the podcast is on Apple Podcasts, and uh, yeah, if you're not already, subscribe to the podcast and listen share to your friends they will love it Mm -hmm. they will enjoy it they will find out how much of idiots we are when it comes to all things jack ryan and if if, if, if you want to point that out if you're if you are clancy pilled and you 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 want to you want to take us the task you can find us on all the socials so that is twitter and instagram i say all the socials every week and it's it's just twitter and instagram right daryl we haven't we haven't branched out any further not at the moment we're uh we're trying to stay humble. We're trying. We're not trying to get hacked in 1990s style just yet. We're trying to keep it uh, uh, humble. We're trying to keep ourselves humble each and every yeah. week. Yeah, and when you can, you you can find us. Yeah, at Defoe U Pod on both of those platforms. Where we're very active. We love a chat, and we love to be told we're wrong, like we regularly are. As you'll hear on this episode. Obviously, we've got it all to get into. Uh, this was a, a, a lovely bit of fun to record with Russell. A pleasure to have him uh, join us under the Focal Motion train here in episode four. So, lots of fun to come your way. But of course, we will uh, let you get into the episode without further ado, and then we'll check right back in with you at the end and let you know what's coming up next week. But until then, 
it is time for clear and present danger. Enjoy the episode. Ta. Getting to know you, getting to know all about Willem. Getting to like you by watching all your films. So this week it is time to go undercover in the 1994 action thriller clear and present danger. Here, Defoe plays John Clark, a CIA field contractor who, along with Jack Ryan, must fight against a Colombian drug cartel. Now, helping us in getting to know Defoe a little better this week and find out if this film is a clear and present danger to itself or just a bit of harmless fun is writer, critic and host of the Not Just For Kids podcast, Russell Bailey. Russell, thank you so much for joining. How the devil are you this fine day? No, thank you for letting me come on to this podcast. I, I've been excitingly waiting for this podcast since it was announced a few months ago and it, to be on early doors is great. Yeah, I'm so I'm pretty grand today. Amazing. Well, we are thrilled to have you on um, to get nose deep in the white power that is clear and present danger but as we always like to uh me and petros are obviously on our journey to get to know defoe and each week when the guests come on we like to ask how well you know defoe as well um so if memory serves russell um do you recall your first willem defoe movie regrettably i think it's speed two i think because <laughs> yes. uh the first speed is is has always been a film i'm incredibly fond of and definitely was a blockbuster rental by my dad when i was probably about nine or ten like i was started fair early with the 15s and like the action films if he wanted to watch it, i would watch it and then speed 2 i reckon i watched that in 1998 and i reckon not liking it i haven't watched it in a very long time i rewatched speed over the bank holiday we've just had and i was like i'll watch speed 2 again but i didn't watch it straight up so i've got speed 2 in the bag and then after that it would have been spider-man in the cinema i watched spider-man opening weekend and defoe obviously chewing up scenery and that stealing all of the uh scenes he's in here so it's his two blockbuster ones and then steady it's kind of built into more of his more i don't know his kind of range like from his 80s stuff through to now and yeah Defoe's always been there. With with Speed Two, <laughs> did his performance <laughs> stick to you like the leeches upon his body in that film, or or, 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 did, or is it as forgettable as the film itself? And his performance isn't forgettable. No, his performance is strange and off kilter and doesn't fit the film at all. But then you watch Speed, and Dennis Hopper is doing a very similar performance. It's just they've got like a classic actor from the 80s and be like just do what you want in this go a bit rogue it's fine it's the the problems with speed 2 is not the foe the problems with speed 2 are the fact it's on a very slow moving boat and they replace keanu reeves with a very dull actor and yeah i mean i again i haven't watched it in years it's i'm gonna rewatch. i might be like actually speed 2 you know that's the unsung hero of the speed franchise <laughs> Yeah, you don't, see, you don't see that article being written anymore. <laughs> no, I've never seen uh, on screen rant or anything like that. The reclamation of Speed 2. <laughs> I think if nothing else, for however long this podcast goes on for, we are going to fight for the reclamation of Speed 2. <laughs> the Blu-ray release, uh, the cinematic re-releases, if we have no other impact on this podcast. 
one of our mission statements is that you know hopefully maybe in the distant future or not too distant future we can get to speak to um mr defoe himself but failing that speed two on blu-ray i don't think is going to be a, a, a terrible second place the, the speed two cruise like <laughs> uh, all-encompassing all event like by day you can enjoy the sights by night you can have leeches sucking on your toes Yes, please. <laughs> That's the energy that we are here for. So, obviously, leading on from that, leeches or not aside, depending on your view on leeches, we're not, we're not, we're not casting aspersions on you, Russell. With Defoe, what are your general sort of views on the man? Uh, what do you find are his standout aspects for you? Uh, so, for a long time, it's that he's been a weird, creepy guy. Like, he's been the hitman in a Grand Budapest Hotel. He's had that terrifying smile, and he can either, you know, be eloquent in a really impactful way or just utterly silent and imposing a figure but also as i've watched more of his stuff he can also be a friendly figure like uh, in like the florida project he is he seems to use that slightly off kilter quality he has to be charming and friendly to the kids and where he stands out there is that he's probably the only nice person in that film that he's just kind of a friendly figure within a narrative that is full of like fairly dislikable figures as all those kind of characters are yeah and i so i, I think it's that You'll probably more know him because he's a sinister figure who pops up either as a supporting character or as the villain, but he's perfectly capable of taking that kind of, that strange charisma he has and making it friendly. There's a danger to him, but that can be a nice kind of danger. He's just sort of maybe a kind of an off-kilter figure who kind of disrupts the uh, balance of things effectively. Amazing. Obviously, you know, that's how you know Defoe and how the question is how are we going to get to know Defoe in clear and present danger now we've all separately watched the film to come today to discuss uh, this 1994 work just before we jump into that I now defer um, to my loyal helicopter wingman raining down the bullets for the defects and the defigures of clear and present danger Petros if you please so clear and present danger was released on August 3rd, 1994, on a budget of $62 million with a whopping box office return of $216 million, placing it at 10th as the highest grossing film of 1994. Currently has a 6.9 on IMDb, a 80% on Rotten Tomatoes based on 46 reviews, and a high 74 audience score on Rotten Tomatoes as well. Them are the facts and the figures incredible i love facts i love them because you're not making them up so russell um we we chatted a little bit before we started recording clear and present danger is this one that you had seen prior to recording date today was this a uh, a first time watch for you i think i've seen it but i can't be certain it, it kind of is this like malaise of harrison ford being a bit stern and gruff in a suit that kind of fits in my head and i might be like well that means i've seen hunt for red october but in hunt for red october it's alec baldwin who's playing uh jack ryan so that can't be that so i must have seen this or patriot games i rewatched or watched patriot games today and that felt even less familiar than this this feels slightly familiar not so much the the kind of drug cartel stuff but more like the the offices and the uh, cia interactions that feels familiar to me i must assume that uh, my parents were watching this and i was watching it with them when i was quite young and so that's why it leaves little it didn't leave 
as big an impression as I expected, but I think I'd mm-hmm. seen this before. Yeah, I think, uh, Petros, what you were sort of saying as well, and you know, as we were <laughs> saying to you, Russell, before we started recording that, with clear and present danger, us two lunatics, we did not realise that this was like the third in like a trilogy of uh, Jack Ryan films. So the film starts and everyone bloody knows each other. And I say, how d- <laughs> explain yourself. <laughs> they talk about Jack Ryan as well, as if he is like somebody to know because there's a there's a, a chance encounter between jack ryan's wife and and a um and a colleague or like an ex-colleague who who works for the president or like someone from the the, the top brass of the cia it's like his his secretary and they're going oh he's, he's, he's like a he's like a hispanic jack ryan and we're like <laughs> Why does like he's like a, like why does every why does everybody know this guy? Obviously, he's, he's he, what is he the the deputy chief at the CIA? But he seems like he's he's a big deal. Like I I, I could I didn't even realize what his role was. He just he to me he seemed just like a another suit in the CIA. Maybe works in accounting because he's he's tasked with figuring out the facts and the figures. He's basically got my role on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> for the CIA. But I mean, in so having now watched Patriot Games, I wouldn't be able to tell you this unless I'd watch it today. He is uh in Patriot Games, he's he's left the CIA and he's being a teacher, and then he saves someone's life and gets kind of a media coverage, and then the entire second half of Patriot Games is a terrorist trying to kill him because he's so famous. Before this, he's like had this adventure where he's become like recognized outside of the CIA. And so, yeah, I think that's what it is. I think it's that in this world, he has had these these kind of like quite high profile spy adventures, which I don't think that's how spying works. I don't think it's like there are two or three famous spies because we would know them. But yeah, the whole Jack Ryan thing is utterly weird as an audience because there's this run of films, which are... Uh, narratively one after the other, but they changed Jack Ryan halfway through. Then you've got Some of All Fears, which is a prequel, but a prequel set after 9-11, which is weird. And then you've got, I think it's called maybe Shadow Hunter, which I haven't seen, which is the Chris Pine one, which again is another reboot. And that's set around the time of the Afghanistan-Iraqi war. And then you get the, um, what's his name? The chap from The Office who directed A Quiet Place, Joseph Kaczynski, is it? He is... Jack Ryan in a TV show. So it's like this character oh, yeah. is constantly being reboot rebooted and Yeah, and then we have the 2001 uh, without remorse which is the <laughs> uh which is the John Clark Willem Dafoe's character like spin-off movie played by Michael B Jordan. So like the the kind of the, the Clancy verse is kind of all over the gaff at this point. They said that the Halloween timeline was confusing. <laughs> They've never <laughs> They've never dealt with the Clancy verse. Hearing you describe that, I, I just had a nosebleed. What I don't know what's going on. So when I start, I, I sort of saw um, in my sort of separate research all this like this, the sequels and prequels and spin-offs and then reboots and reboots and reboots. I was like, you know what? One film in 1994 is perfect as far as I'm concerned. Obviously, just trying to put together the pieces because, like I said, I felt like I was missing a bit of context as the movie goes on. I don't think it matters too much because it's more of the the political intrigue and the espionage and the thrilleringness, if it's all technical term. Uh, we'll be we'll be a TM in that on the podcast. But this is, you know, I think a, a very much in opposition to what we're what we're looking at on the podcast. This is very much a Harrison Ford vehicle. Defoe, and I think you have this Petros. It's not too long into the film until Defoe appears. No, it is uh, 17 minutes and 39 seconds before we get our first glimpse 
Pops of Defoe, which uh, he has he has an amazing kind of opening like kind of exchange because he he is basically hired for a kind of covert operation because he's like a he's like a CIA wingman basically he's kind of high he's a contractor for the CIA. The opening line we get from him is rapacity. That's a clever name for it. Revenge is a very very dangerous motive. And it's like who who is this guy in a, in a Panama hat? And this kind of like floral shirt. I was just kind of, I don't know what your guys' first impressions were, but yeah, yeah, Russell, we'll throw this out to you. For, what, what did you think of John Clark uh, as played by Willem Dafoe when you first saw him on screen? It's from first impressions onwards. It's hard to read if he is on the good side or the bad side. And this, this film is what I think quite effective is that it's all murky and everyone's got these alternate motivations going on, except for Jack Ryan, who is stoically honest. And uh, one of the big things of here is that he's tricked into lying. And that's a big thing. But yeah, Defoe here is immediately, because you come in with the knowledge of Defoe, but also the way he's playing it. He's vaguely, he could be a threat. He could be an ally. He is sort of this kind of awkward place of we don't know who you are we don't know who he is he's clearly someone who means something i mean like you were saying about how you because you hadn't seen the previous films it was like there was information that wasn't given to you but i think that's here with defoe who isn't in either of the films is there's not information about defoe given to us straight away it's just he's a figure in the field who kind of is brought in by i guess someone who is wonderfully villainous uh henry uh, carney who i i recognized from the first Mission Impossible and Ready or Not. He is the CIA operative who's kind of gone a bit rogue with the president, you know, giving him you know, hushed permission to pursue a war against the uh, Colombian drug cartel. And so I guess because we're being led in by him to Defoe, we assume Defoe is is a villain, but he's he's not, it's not as cut and dry as that. He's not, he's a grey figure in his motivation, which is kind of interesting, compelling from the very first time he's on the screen. Yeah, he's kind of like somebody that Bond would meet up with, right? Who's kind of like, is he is he a good guy? Is, is, is he a baddie? And mm-hmm. from researching this as well, I'm not sure if, if, if you knew this, but like the character of John Clark uh, appeared in the Tom Clancy novel, the Jack Ryan novel before this, the, the Cardinal of the Kremlin. And Clear and Present Danger is actually a story that is focused more on John Clark than he is uh, Jack ryan which kind of like had me thinking once once with that information oh i would love to have seen the john clark film like because that's a kind of interesting moral quandary right of this guy who is tasked with this pretty despicable task of 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 going basically undercover with this crack team of kind of a a who's who of of american tv talent we've got tuco salamanca is one of his guys we've got benjamin bratt who many people may recognize from modern family as manny delgato's uh estranged father or yeah and uh but yeah what, what do we all think to that of this thing of this could have been the john clark story as opposed to a jack Wright. i mean it's uh I mean, based on his his drip alone, I was fully on board because you, you've got all the Americans who I think has said like very, you know, the starch suits, very brown, very grey. I was like, oh God, America. Meh. But then you get some sweet ass Defoe who's, okay, excuse me, Senor La Cuenta, por favor. And I'm like, yes, give me that salsa, give me that spice. But I think he, he does, because he's not in the film much at all. It's very much, even though he's got feature billing on the movies, um, like like, if there's like five or six scenes, maybe get like screen time of, I don't know, it's 20 minutes. That feels like it might be a bit generous, actually. But you sort of get in these little snippets that Defoe is making the most of his screen time. And I was, I will say by the end of it, I was 
definitely intrigued by the character of John Clark. He gets a lot more, maybe not action-heavy scenes, but a lot more action-orientated scenes, where it kind of felt like, I think as we were saying at the start there, Russell, that um, he's a very grey character. We don't know where his allegiances are going to lie. It does kind of set you up, or at least it did for me, this idea that Clark and Ryan are going to be in some way opposed and butt heads at some point in the movie. And the scenes that we got between them, there might have only been two or three, really, but those are some of the scenes that I enjoyed the most, taking my Defoe bias out of the equation. But one of the things I enjoyed, you know, and maybe jumping a little bit ahead, it seemed to me that every time Defoe was in a scene, as the film went on, his hair just seemed to get blonder. Was that just me that noticed? <laughs> well, he's been, he's, been, he's, been out, he's been out in Colombia for a while, right? It's kind of a bit of lemon juice running through the fingers. He's, he's, he's getting out in that sun, baby. <laughs> I think the more towards uh, the good side he gets, the blonder he becomes, <laughs> which I think is a very a very 90s visual for it. Well, he's basically the living embodiment of this film's message, right? Is we get that scene between Jack Ryan and Ritter where he's like, there is no black and white. It's grey. It's grey, Ryan. And it's like John Clark is the grey man, basically. Not to not to be confused with the Russo brothers film of the same name with uh, Ryan, uh, no, Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans. But yeah, he is basically the grey man, isn't it? He's like the, the one who is, he could go either way at any moment, which makes him probably the most interesting character in the film to some degree. Yeah, definitely. Like I think he was definitely the most interesting. And this goes back to what we're saying that, make no mistake, this is very much a Harrison Ford movie it's a harrison ford vehicle and he can't not talk about this film and not talk about harrison ford and you know i enjoyed harrison ford i think he's i struggle to think of like a way these days to describe harrison ford that isn't just it's harrison ford which you know i, I hope makes sense then he's he's sort of very charismatic at the start and in my in my brain i'm one of those people who keeps forgetting like just how much Harrison Ford has done because my silly goose brain is like that's Han Solo that is that's bloody Indiana Jones that is <laughs> and I, I look at like the Wikipedia and I think in like you know, the 80s and 90s he was doing pretty much like a film a year and you kind of forget how big I forget like how big of a star that he was and then see him in, in this which for like a lot of the film the first half of the film he, he kind of came across to me and again this is without the context the wider context of the Harrison Ford uh, Jack Ryan and the Clancyverse movies seemed like quite a reluctant hero because he gets put into these positions where he doesn't seem to me like he wanted to be and he didn't really want to take that higher position of a director of gossip or whatever it was in the cia uh director of shit hot news <laughs> whichever one of those that you did i suppose i'll throw it to you first russell um when we're sort of introduced to mr ryan i suppose as you said you've seen patriot games you've got a bit more of the context here did that sort of add up with the mm -hmm. ryan that you were uh, familiar with uh how did you sort of like see his journey in this one yeah the reluctant hero that then becomes a man in the field is is basically what jack ryan is for all these films it's always that he's like because in the in the patriot games he's not in the cia and then he becomes a target almost by accident of the uh of a rogue ira unit and so then he becomes part of the cia and in this it's his uh former boss is dying so he's been thrust into this role and then he's thrust in the field and it's always like he's begrudgingly getting on a plane to go and fly to this place to uh spy in action and i, I it's either in this one or in patriot games or, no it's in patriot games where he's told he's not a field operative and that comes across here and yeah and within like the whole wider harrison ford thing it, it I mean 
I prefer my Harrison Fords with a Whipple with a Space Blaster, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I prefer him in Star Wars and Indiana Jones. I think he's, when he's being a charismatic rogue, he is wonderful. And here he's not, he's, there's nothing roguish about Jack Ryan. There's not, he's very straight laced. He's kind of a metaphor for the American man because he does the right thing and he's always doing the right thing. He's honest. And I mean, we would disagree with such a representation of America, but I think it's how they see themselves. And like, it for me fits into where Harrison Ford is at this time. So like, this is around the era of sort of the fugitive where he is an honest man who has been wrongly accused of murder and is on the run and a witness where he is again like this honest police officer who's sent to protect someone in, in an Amish community and it's that yeah that kind of like that he kind of like dialed down his charisma and his kind of like I don't want to say bad boy because I hate the term but he's kind of bad boy energy to be like the man in the suit doing the right thing and that's a lot of this is that until he gets out into the field which only happens in sort of like the last act it's him in rooms talking to people arguing with people talking to the president giving the president suggestions for how he should respond to the fact that his he knows someone who's been murdered because they were involved with the the drug cartel yeah so for most of this film he's just a man in a suit in a room talking to people or praising the skills of a computer and stuff like that and that's not my Harrison Ford but I understand why he is I understand why there is this shift in his career in the 90s to being like this because he's basically shifting with where blockbusters go and what he can do and what he wants to do is that he just doesn't really want to do many action scenes anymore so like this and like Patriot games have minimal action and when they do have action it tends to be that there's a terrorist attack he just happens to be there at the same time as it's happening that seems to be as kind of his curse is that he's going to be like attacked by rogue elements and just have to Im- take on the action mantle. I mean, he's, he sort of forget as well because I think around about this time he was he was in his fifties, just about in his fifties as well. So, like I said, there mm. aren't a lot of action scenes. So I suppose maybe again I come back to this not having like the prior context of like the wider Clancy verse outside of like I don't know some like Rainbow Six video <laughs> games and stuff. I suppose I was expecting this to be a lot more action heavy, and then you think, oh, I guess like he was about like fifty, and he probably wouldn't have done that many action scenes, and so I I didn't realize and i don't think it was necessarily a detriment to the movie you know i'd I'd be keen to round table on this a lot of the talky scenes because i think they were done very well but when it wasn't sort of as action heavy as i was expecting it to be um because even at the start of the film when it opens you've got the that sort of u.s vessel that coast guard vessel that finds the um the yacht and there's those two uh, cartel goons that are covered in blood and get found like i was thinking oh here we go there's gonna be a shootout on international waters it's gonna start an absolute warfare but a lot of this is i suppose it's very sort of espionage it's very hush hush it's very sort of like a chessboard of like cat and mouse of like Mm. people know some things other people don't know other things and then harrison ford's just kind of in the middle of it just probably thinking like i just want to be home and eat soup (laughs) that that's that's my ryan did did you i suppose like you know i'll fire to you petros and then we'll sort of go around obviously but did you think it was going to be like me like it was going to be a bit more action heavy because i know we were saying we hadn't seen the other clancy's before this well i i I came to the conclusion that this film feels like it is between two pillars in that it wants to have its cake and eat it by doing like some of the action stuff but then also having like like one of the best kind of sequences in this film is jack ryan trying to hack into someone's computer but they can see him on the computer 
<laughs> it's a great it's a great scene and, but there's part of me that's like oh i'd love to see the film that really goes into the minutiae of all of the stuff that you know when like when films go into something on like a granular level like one of my favorite films is zodiac and i love that 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 could be there is a version of that film that is action heavy but there is also something great about films of men talking in rooms and like showing us the processes of how like whereas in this we just get jack ryan saying to like an it goon being like hey i need a i need a program that can do this or like i need you to see if these two voices on these two recordings match and it's like I'm, I was pulled in two ways. I was like, either give me the all-out action movie, or give me the film that goes into the minute details of this stuff. Like, oh, how do they figure out that the voices match? Instead of just giving us a scene where it's like, I don't know, we've got it. It's Cortez. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, give us that. Bit. They turn the yeah, body yeah, yeah. up and like, they get it. How sure are you? And it's like. 90% sure. Where's that film? Which which film do you want to be in? It feels like if it was more faithful to the novel and it being about John Ryan, we probably would have got that action-heavy film, whereas it wants to do the Jack Ryan stuff as well, which is a lot of men talking in rooms. So I guess I guess I'm conflicted as to what I wanted. I wanted the film to know what it wanted. That that's what I want. I want the film to just be like, this is what we this is what we're setting out to do. I don't know the the merging of of them does get a little c- c- not confusing because that 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 makes you sound like a dum dum. Oh well, I am. I, I didn't realize this was a third part in a franchise until <laughs> after watching it. But it's also that aspect of. I don't know. I just, I, I just want it to be cohesive and just stick to one thing that I, that I don't think the film delivered on that, on that part. Yeah, I think there's a conflict in a lot of spy films where, because Bond exists, they've all got to throw in Bond-like moments. But there's like a wealth of like spy stuff out there. Like I think of something like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which has almost no action in it and is just men in rooms talking and trying to work out who the mole is, and it's compelling and enthralling to watch. And I, there is a side of this and if we take jack ryan at this point is the closest to an american bond that there is because there's a franchise here there's multiple installments the same character the same characters come over between films and it can also recast within films and stay consistently the same character but yeah i mean this this film doesn't need its action. It doesn't need to have the action scenes that it has. It doesn't need the finale where it's Jack Ryan running around a drug cartel's base. And it's like, that's not who Jack, Jack Ryan is, the deputy director of intelligence at the CIA. I don't think that that's what happens in the real world. And I think it would strengthen its hand if it was closer to being like, this is the real world. It's just men talking in rooms. And as you say, the most exciting room is when uh, they're trying to hack into someone's emails and the person can see what's happening and is deleting emails that they're trying to read. And it's that's compelling and interesting. And it, I feel it. I, so I rewatched The Hunt for the Red October a couple of months ago, and that doesn't have a great deal of action in it. And that is compelling and exciting. And it's just this kind of investigative quality that is there in this because there is a mystery here which is to what extent is the person murdered at the start involved with the uh, drug cartel and then within the drug cartel there's other stuff going on and that's kind of interesting and the action could just be this is it he's called a hispanic jack ryan killing people mm-hmm. off that's mm-hmm. interesting there's all these like interesting threads here but it has to just pull itself together at the end and be like for 25 minutes an action film so that people go yeah that was exciting that bit where the person got shot was exciting wasn't it they've got to give the audience that kind of bit of action and there's the same thing in patriot games which is by the same director and by the same creative team which is that for the most part that's about trying to find ira operatives 
trying to work out who the uh, specific figure is they can then get into this cell of people and then at the end it becomes a sort of home invasion film into a shootout on a boat and it's like this film is strange (laughs) like yeah i I think there's the dilemma of the 90s here which is that they don't want to do an out and out action film they don't do an out and out spy film because that's not what jack ryan is jack ryan is not uh, a spy in the same way that bond is or born is they yeah jack ryan is a man who sits at a desk has meetings with the president has conversations with other men in the suit and other operatives which is why defoe's character is so compellingly interesting because he is an operative in the field who has been brought in to create this kind of uh, military group to fight this covert war in um colombia they he, that's that's maybe the film that we all wanted to watch we wanted to watch the foe you know out there recruiting people those scenes are the best scenes but because it's a Harrison Ford, Jack Ryan film, those are like the kind of like additional threads that could be taken out entirely and then it wouldn't matter. It'd just be that Jack Ryan is trying to like prove that someone is being dodgy within the CIA. That's really what this film is about. But what we want it to be about is is the Defoe guy going off and just being a slippery little spy. <laughs> yeah. It's great. It's got aspects like you say of that that Defoe stuff there's that great scene as well you're kind of just thrown into it where they're testing out a sniper and where he is like that stuff's Mm. great right and the stuff between Defoe and Harrison Ford like I I love that moment where like like they have that first encounter don't they where it's like uh, he's trying to get some information from him Defoe's like well he was a fan of Lindell Carthy and it's like oh he's giving us a little tidbit he's he's, he's on a then the next time they're on screen together we got Defoe bundling him to the back of a car being like I've, I've come to fa- i've come to i've come to find you it's like well you found me now like here i am like get in a car <laughs> it's like I, said, I, I just wish there wasn't about like two hours between those scenes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know because it's because it's great stuff and they do have like an undeniable chemistry because the whole like you know what side of, of the of the fence they're going to fall obviously jack ryan being the all-american you've sworn over to the u.s people american then defoe be you know i've been i've been out in the field am i on the side of the colombians am i rogue am i corrupt you know again i do wish there was more of that i think as he said there petros like a lot of the interesting stuff is like defoe's character basically being like a nick fury kind of character and recruiting like the best of the best special ops recruiting Tuco Salamanca as being like the ultimate chameleon spy who can just eat like a cheese like eat a cheeseburger quarter pounder snipe at you and then just like flip you off all in the same motion which I thought that was a, a great scene when he was sort of sneaking out and he's like um, uh, he goes move to your left sniper at your feet like what is it he was here sir eating a cheeseburger I was like, <laughs> I was like yes I do feel like the John Clark film, though, is really cynical because there is a cynical vein to this film. And I know that on Patriot Games, uh, Willem Dafoe said in a Charlie Rose interview that on Patriot Games, the CIA had a lot of involvement as kind of consultants on that movie. Whereas when it came to this film, they kept them at an arm's distance because obviously this doesn't really have great things to say about the cia and the kind of like especially with the the hiring of john clark and his kind of ragtag band of assassins essentially i think that that like the implications of that scene where let's just call him pablo escobar like (laughs) the the kind of standard definitely not pablo escobar pablo escobar (laughs) It's when he's Escobedo, like of course, Escobedo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Pablo Escobedo. Uh, when his house gets leveled, which a sidebar here, that house was a real house that they just blew up 
for this film. And the, <laughs> the owner of that house was a divorcee who had lots of bad memories in that house, so was happy for it to be destroyed. Uh, which, uh, which I feel like is a whole conversation we could have that could take up the complete runtime of this podcast because what has gone on in that house? I, 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 I mean, <laughs> I, I saw that tidbit on IMDb and my favourite part, because obviously IMDb, anyone can sort of go on and have an edit or whatever. My favourite part of that tidbit was the last sentence was uh, the divorcee kept the land and this word's doing a lot of work here, presumably built a new house after clearing <laughs> out the rubble. <laughs> Just, uh, just lived within the rubble they just kind of like scooted a, a bit of a car they now live under the bonnet of this this blown up car but well, that, for, that for all we know for we that know. scene has like really dark implications and obviously in the world we're living in now with like mm. post drone strikes and stuff like that it's kind of like it very much speaks to that thing of like uh the dark seedy stuff that the the government the, the, the whole john clark na- narrative of this film is very dark mm. and sinister if you kind of like peel it back which is kind of great when we kind of get to the thing of like but he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna be that reaching hand for jack ryan at the end of the helicopter exactly and like i see that's probably the darkest well up there with the darkest scenes of the film because that um glorious 90s cgi bomb is sort of plummeting to earth um, and you see the women and the children and you're like oh god but at the same time i think it's almost done like a very 90s thing and just reinforced like the past hour and a half that remember all colombians are bad um (laughs) but some are some are worse than others it does while all colombians are bad there are the worst colombians that they do spend their time saying that there is a hierarchy of badness children Um, are the worst yeah i would love to watch the 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 cynical cia are the real monsters here because my reading of this is that mostly the villains are the cia and the president but because jack ryan is there being the starch shirt most upstanding individually can be and that's who we're Mm. following and it kind of almost cuts away from like the president giving like hushed authority to things. It's it's it's. But I mean, that's that's just I think how Americans view their presence since sort of you know Nixon era that their presidents are probably doing something that they don't like, and they're best not to focus on that. Um, yeah, I uh, I would gladly have watched the kind of the CIA is the real monster here film that that is sort of here, but is softened so that we can have Jack Ryan be Jack Ryan and go off and save the day, and also that the Defoe CIA operative can come and be good at the end, which might not be true to the character, but we get a nice rousing. Everyone gets out. The helicopter goes, the bad people get shot. The Columbians being the bad people and all is well. I suppose it's kind of interesting as well that, about the time this film released this this was um uh, i think august of 1994 and i think not nine ten months before um i think as worldwide news in december of 93 pablo escobar was killed as well so and i think culturally speaking the um the war on drugs was very much the hot top the hot button topic of the time as well so mm. It, it, that kind of makes me wonder obviously this is based on a book of the same name which came out in 89 but it makes me wonder if there was any element of the script that might have been sort of rewritten or um tapered to guess that maybe that that, that, that cultural consensus of like we got escobar there's a huge huge dent in the war on drugs here and you know, i know we joke about it as well but obviously the i suppose primary villain ernesto escobedo is you know the definitely not pablo escobar villain of this piece so i i sort of wonder if even sort of visually he was 
made up to look so Escobarian before this movie was made. I'm not sure I think it's the that, that Escobar was killed, but it is that these Jack Ryan films do feel like time capsules because their villains are all like mm. villains of mm. the time. So like Hunt for October, it's the Russians, which yes, Russians are bad being the villains, but this is like Cold War Russians that they can't, we can't talk to them and we might, they might blow us up. Then it's the IRA, which is very old school, but that, that, there's like a trench of films in the 80s that are about the IRA and and like probably the most famous one that is the crying game for example and then with this it's the drug cartels which again feels a very 80s villain like obviously there's the uh is it no it's not living at die is it license to kill which is the bond where he goes rogue and takes on the drug cartels the second timothy dalton bond where he kind of like ha- his cia friend is killed it's a very similar plot to this so like a cia uh, friend is killed and so he goes off to take out the uh, colombian drug cartel rogue he like rescinds his uh, license to kill and goes off and kills freely yeah so i i feel it's more like that this is like the tail end of that kind of like movement of films where the villains are the colombian drug cartels where it is about the war on drugs and now when we see that represented it's something like american made which is comedically done it's like it's a comedy starring tom cruise and donald gleason and yeah so i i think that's what it is here but him looking entirely like Pablo Escobar is just because Pablo Escobar was uh, still is uh, culturally a has a huge imprint on Western culture is this like figure particularly now since we've had Narcos which yeah is a great is a great show if you watch Narcos <laughs> go watch Narcos uh, spoiler alert um, Escobar might die at the end of Narcos who knows <laughs> if you Wikipedia you'll probably find out what's going to happen <laughs> I suppose obviously the reason the whole you know, this this covert operation against Columbia happens is because they set up the film that as an American businessman. And I think they always have to say that American businessmen in these films are always the most honest of the workers until they're not, which seems to happen <laughs> kind of frequently. Just so happens to be a personal friend of the president. And they effectively say, you know, what are we going to do about this? And then the president is more or less like, I can't ask you to do the thing I want you to do. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And then I think it's nine minutes in, he says the name of the film. They are a clear and present danger. And I was like, get in. I love... I love nothing more when someone says the name of the film. Uh, One of my favourite moments. And then he gives... um, Is it his National Security Advisor Cutter... And then mm-hmm. it's Ritter as well. And their names are just, they felt too similar name-wise for me. They were so interchangeable throughout the film. That I, <laughs> I think it was Ritter who had the glasses, who was like the much more cold and calculated of the yeah. two. Yeah. Ritter is, Ritter, the actor is, I, I kind of adore him. And he plays that kind of like suited shit <laughs> all the time. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So they basically give them the go-ahead and they basically activate uh, Operation Reciprocity for the, the covert operation to go into Colombia for Defoe to recruit his elite squadron of, of operatives to go in there, which is... You know, I think as we're saying, that's kind of like kind of like the more interesting thing, but at the same time, Ryan's dealing with sort of the hierarchy of the CIA. James L. Jones, uh, Admiral Greer, we find as pancreatic cancer, uh, which again, I think not seen the film and not knowing that he's the one who's reprised his role. I was like, that's a sudden thing to happen about yeah. ten minutes into the film. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, they they gave Vader cancer. What? Is- what is going on here? It's, it's, it's a big year for James L. Jones dying in movies as well, right? So the number one film at the box office for 1994 
was the Lion King, which uh, he obviously voices Mustafa, who who has to die for Simba to become the Lion King. So it's a big, yeah, big, big death, big death year for James L. Jones. So what we're basically saying is this is the live action Lion King. Yes. <laughs> And Simba grew up to be a CIA operative. Um, Who yeah. does that make Willem Dafoe? Is he? Is he? Is he uh, Rafiki? Is he? Is he Timon and Pumbaa? Who? Who? Who does that make him? What? In this metaphor, I don't know. Is he? He's not Nala. Nala is no, he the doesn't. Wife. He doesn't raw dog uh, Dafoe. As much as I wish that could have happened, just a real cathartic like. Bless- the the tension that they would have had if that had <laughs> oh, happened would be great. Um, imagine he might be Rafiki because Rafiki does venture out into find Simba. So you, uh, Rafiki gets in the field. I think Rafiki's he's Rafiki, definitely killed he before. I'm, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's a giant staff and he beats death several hyenas at the end. So yeah. You don't become that wise slash insane without a few uh, a few antelope bones under your bed. <laughs> I'm putting it out there. That's my that's my theory. Rafik is a cold blooded red ass killer. Now I want the Lion King, but as a Zodiac film. Now I want it to be like they're trying to find who this killer is, and it's Rafiki. I want Willem Dafoe's Rafiki as well. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I, I want him. I don't want him to do any racially insensitive accents. I want him to just as Willem Dafoe. No, just. he can sound like the rat in um, Fantastic Mr. Fox. That's what he can do. Yeah, he'll sound like the rat in Fantastic Mr. Fox. It means no worries for the end of your days, he says, cl- bringing the staff down on the antelope's head. Uh, <laughs> Then one, I think one of the things I enjoyed from my notes as well, and obviously there's a lot of, I think some of the finest scenes in this film, certainly the Ryan scenes. I mean, one of them I thought was really enjoyable because I, I sort of didn't expect it was the scene where they're ambushed in the SUVs a little later on. Um, but one I enjoyed is when, because um, I think Ryan is one of the only people who's very much like, you know, we're all saying that this American businessman who knows the president, Peter Hardin, we've all just presumed that he is a good guy, but you know, what if he's not? And then it's like, you know, we need to get into his files and then just presenting like the tech geek with a floppy disk and that guy just cracking his knuckles going, Oh, control alt, let's hack this mother. <laughs> and then it's, I think this is obviously early password times when like passwords were the most basic thing that you could have. And then with about a minute, he's just like cracked it because it's just a combination of birthdays. Uh, my notes are just, this is a stark reminder of why we use complex passwords. <laughs> 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 but it's but it's played as a joke which i like it's actually a bit i like in the film is that they're like this is gonna take him weeks and they're walking away and then he does it and it's like there there is the potential this could be a workplace mm-hmm. comedy really easily they could really have upped like the whole jack ryan fish out of water stuff and then made it more like kind of the office but the cia that's what this is that be. what they do with uh john krasinski in the uh <laughs> in the <laughs> I, I haven't watched the john krasinski ones because i just haven't watched them but i suspect it's more like he is young and a field operative vaguely i don't know and i haven't watched the kenneth branner one so maybe that's what the kenneth branner I, I, like. I, I i i think the supporting cast in this who kind of touched on them so we have yeah we have henry zerny as bob ritter harris Eulin, who will always be burnt into my brain as the judge from ghostbusters 2 who kind of in that opening <laughs> sequence like kind of gets really angry and makes the ooze kind of like active again and uh who else donald moffat as the president and one thing i loved about the president is he's just so hell-bent on like the blood money 
the kind of the, 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 that's all he cares about he's like you tell him that's our goddamn money and he's like fucking hell like people this goes deep Jimmy Jack Ryan's trying to be like this goes this goes deep president he's like but what's happening with that goddamn money it's my money <laughs> I think a lot of things in the movie, though, are like, a, I suppose, like a constant reminder to the audience of how, uh, you know, Jack Ryan is the uncorruptible ultimate American employee as well, because you get it with Ritter and Cutter that, you know, these eggs are a little bit rotten. And then the film gives you a bit more that you know, the president's a little bit of a stinker as well, which, you know, it's always got to go to the top of the chain. Like I've, I've, I've seen House of Cards. We all know how it works. That's how American politics is, apparently, from what I've only learned from TV. But he, I, th- I think the way it sort of um, leads to the end as well, like you think that maybe some of these people are going to get their comeuppance and it kind of leaves that thread kind of hanging. But, it, you know, it's. I think it does a job well enough in that it builds of the tension of Ryan versus the forces within while Clark's sort of taken on the face of evil which is superimposed on like the Colombians and we were sort of touching on it before and I think one of the the the, the tense moments in the film is the the absolute 1990s hack off of who can print screen the fastest uh like Ryan is he's gotten access to um uh Ritter's computer where he's got all these basically teletext documents that basically link him to the covert operations um he I think we as the audience know he's kind of unintentionally implicit because he's already lobbied the board at the American government to give them more money for the operation in Colombia. They're like, well, I've been in this long enough to know that something shit's about to happen. It's like, oh, no, nothing shit will happen. And then the shit happens. And then he he sort of calls him, which I thought was great. He's like, hey, you ever played tennis? Should we play, go play some tennis some some good time? It's like, that, the, what the fuck are you up to, Ryan? Nothing, print screen, print screen, print screen, print screen. I don't know, we've sort of been skirting around this scene before, but for me, that was one of my sort of favorite, favorite scenes in the mm-hmm. film. Like, how, did, how did you guys, uh, say, Russ, I'll throw it to you first, but how did you find that scene as well? Oh, it's great fun, but also it is, again, the film is entirely a time capsule because you look at that tech and go, my God, that tech is so old. My, do you remember when computers were like that? But yeah, I think this is a really tense, fun scene. I think, yeah, that it's probably the high point for me for the Jack the Jack Ryan stuff because it's kind of it fits with who Jack Ryan is it fits with what he's doing he doesn't fit when he's out in the field for me that doesn't make mm. sense to me when it's him and one of his operatives trying to get these like emails and these files and they're being deleted by the person and that kind of like that that they know each of each of them knows that they know what's going on but they still have to do it yeah it's compelling and exciting. And one of the better representations of hacking of the 90s, because I've watched many films where hacking I've watched hackers. Just... <laughs> like, which film is it? Is it, um, I think it's My Best Friend's Wedding, where they send all the emails, like letters. So it's like, they pile up all the emails at the end of the day, and they send the emails at the end of the day. And like, well, that's not how emails work. Email is a back and forth thing. Like, this at least feels vaguely plausible, and it's at least an exciting way to have a back and forth with the computer, which is that this is vaguely humorous, but also tense because Jack Ryan has to get the evidence. And then obviously there's the phone call, which again is kind of funny. It's not quite played as much for laughs as it should, but it's kind of funny. This is kind of funny stuff going on here. It's kind of tense and funny and has a bit more life than some of the other stuff around Ryan in this kind 
kind of field of gray that he's in like all these gray rooms and these gray suits yeah this is a little bit of life i didn't realize that that scene that they were so close in proximity because they're basically like two doors away from each other right as well (laughs) not even like he's hacking from a from an undisclosed location and literally when he gets to the end where he's like i've got this piece of paper like i i I managed to print screen this is gonna this is gonna this this is gonna pin you to being a bad guy, and then Ritter's kind of going into his his safe, being like, "Have you got one of these? This is this is this is this is signed by the signed by the by the president. This is basically a get out. I've got I've got a jet ja- get out of jail free card signed by the president." And this isn't Ritter's first time at doing this as well. That's also something that's kind of nice is that. You know, Jack Ryan is new and thinks that, oh, this is the most terrible thing. When actually it's, you know, a Thursday at the CIA, them having an undeclared war. In, it feels like hotel. there's like a 1970s more cynical version of this, like really cynical. I, I, I couldn't help but think about the parallels between this and all the president's men, like especially with that, like follow the money and you'll find like who's doing the bad shit. And there is kind of like a, a Watergate thing to this as well, that the, the, the president is like linked to, to this like dirty money and all that like hiring people essentially to to cover up something to yeah because that's basically what reciprocity is right is they're just trying to cover up kill off the people before it can get it can come back to us because we probably we get the implication that he probably knew right or like was close enough to this guy that that it can that the shit can fall at the president's feet with all of this kind of laundered money. I don't think it looks good if if the president is close friends with a American businessman who is laundering money for Colombian drug cutters. I don't think but that there's, plays in there's a state. version of this film where that encounter between Jack Ryan and Ritter is like the kind of the final act of the film, and we're kind of left cold in the cinema just realizing that. Mm-hmm. Like that is what it is. Like it, it, it is grey. Do you know what I mean? Like they're kind of like cut to just credits. Like on on that bit, if the film had kind of gone into, like I said earlier, the minutiae of what it is to kind of work at the CIA and what these kind of uh, Jack Ryan s characters and his band of people are doing, that that would be like the ultimate cynical ending where we're just kind of left like oh shit yeah we are just kind of the bad guys sometimes do win like (laughs) that that, that. yeah and it it also reminds me a bit of a few good men where like that there is obviously the famous court scene where jack nicholson is screaming you can't handle the truth but the actual ending of a few good men is that even though they prove that the order came from this colonel the soldiers still go to prison because they killed someone like it doesn't they're still going to prison and like there is i think i would have preferred the version you're talking about which just doesn't end with jack ryan going off to save these soldiers because that doesn't click for me that doesn't fit that doesn't feel like what's going to happen it it doesn't work it's too wholesome whereas if it was just like they had the shouting match and then uh ritter produces proof that it's all fine he's allowed to do this and then it ends well that i mean it's unsatisfactory for an audience at the time but for us it's like ah, oh, perfect the cia is corrupt and covers its ass. Yeah, I think it's, you know, the, but there's maybe a better version of the ending there that's not so ambiguous. I, I think there are a few elements of the film that sort of wrap up uh, maybe a bit quicker, a bit more neatly than I would have liked. I, I mean, I suppose the whole Cortez storyline, really, when it, I suppose it kind of transpires that he's perhaps the bigger best mastermind than Escobedo because he's the intelligence man. It turns out that he's been having, uh, well, not an affair, but he's been seeing uh, Moira. He's having international relations with Moira 
who is she's the secretary for someone who basically does international negotiations. Oh, someone else. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So she's basically been, I suppose, an unwitting informant, and that's how the cartel are getting their information. And when that that sort of scene happened in the cabin where he sort of turns around and considers a, a loose end because he keeps dropping hints that he used to work with. They don't outright say, like, Fidel Castro or something. I don't know if he even is Fidel Castro they're talking about, but he keeps saying Castro as someone he used to work with, and then he refers to her as a loose end. You know, poor, poor, poor Moira, she gets her neck snapped and she's just left in a cabin. Although I suppose this kind of relates to one of my issues with Cortez and I guess the character because the film tells us repeatedly that he is the right-hand man of Escobedo. He is the intelligence officer. He is the reason why Escobedo is able to stay a step ahead of like the cartel sort of in, um, sort of domestically and sort of the news from afar as well. But he, he outright states his plans on a recorded call, which is how Ryan can get the 90% voice recording. He leaves a body that directly links him to the investigation and then ryan's wife you know sees like a the side of his head as well and then he gets just his whole conversation with um with with ritter just gets recorded sort of word for word so he's just like exposed at every possible avenue when he's supposed to be kind of this sort of criminal mastermind yeah so he's kind of he kind of just left them look like a bit of a dummy by the end of it <laughs> It's, it's, uh, it's very Columbo villain-esque. Do you know what I mean? Like, the scenes of, especially that one in the cabin. It reminds me of, like, the first ever episode, the Steven Spielberg uh, episode of Columbo, where you've kind of got... Because that happens, like, someone going out to a cabin and tying up a loose end and, like, tr- killing a woman on a boat. And it kind of it kind of reminded me of that. Like, we're seeing all this stuff being like, you're a fucking dumb-dumb. Like, you are, you are a dumb-dumb, Cortex. <laughs> like, you're kind of jetting about the place. You might have this operation where phone phone calls are getting wired from venezuela to wherever you are and it's like i've told i've told them you're on the on the shop floor and he's like in some kind of hangout for for cartel goons and they're, they're, they're playing pool and like bowling it sounds like he's in a bowling alley i think when she calls him you hear like skittles falling down. Like, okay i'll take the call and like yeah it's like um you dumb dumb, big old dumb dumb. Yeah, like Ross, how did you how did you find Cortez? Do you did you find him a, a redemptive villain, or did you think he's a bit of a silly goose as well? Maybe it's he's giving so much evidence that he's bad that he can be ruled out because no one would believe he's that stupid. No one would believe he's so stupid to like a dead body in a cabin that he's been to. I don't know. I thought it was again. I think this film has all these like interesting like ideas that are just a bit underdeveloped. Like I do feel like they're kind of like uh, the cartel having this kind of power play going on like having him be kind of working behind the pablo escobar escobar but not back to do stuff is interesting but no he's not it doesn't really give him the time he doesn't give like the the secretary time for her death to have much more impact than just it's a loose end that jack ryan's wife can pick up on and say ah the same day as this happened isn't that terrible and it's like yeah that's it's it's just a plot point yeah I, i think he's kind of He's too two-dimensional and too... He makes too many sloppy mistakes, basically, to, to be anything more than just a bit frustrating to watch. And not that I'm saying I could do any better. I'm not saying that I can beat this kind of figure any better. I'm just saying, as an outside observer, Russell there's something... Russell Escobedo over here. You mentioned <laughs> Anne Archer's character there, Russell. Does she have more to do in Patriot Games? Because I know a lot of her scenes in this ended up on the cutting room floor, and it felt like she is almost like just as vital to Jack Ryan's success as he is at times. Like she kind of gives him these tidbits, and she seems like she's somebody in the know. Does she get more screen time in Patriot Games? Not 
massively. She's always like a figure of calm in Jack's life, I guess. That's the best way to put it. She's like attacked in Patriot Games. They have a daughter played by Fora Birch in Patriot Games when she was very young. And it's just, it's, um, no, she never really gets beyond like the supportive wife role. That's, and like, it's more like, in that it plays into the, the reason why he doesn't work for the CIA is because it's too dangerous and he doesn't want to impact his life, home life too much. And she represents that. It isn't, she hasn't given anything else to do. And I think it's similar here. Again, I think she's mostly supportive wife. And the reason why she seems key to his success is because she's just there to be, to A, give him, you know, new information and be be a sounding board for stuff like it, it, she doesn't have her own journey in any of these films they're not about her i don't think no so we don't we don't see much of her and you know like i say as we've been saying i think we we barely see a bit more of defoe as we said he's i think he does enough and is impactful in the uh scenes that he's in i was just impressed by the very 90s commitment to sort of jack ryan's character of trudging through the columbian forest in in denim jeans i thought that was in, <laughs> in, incredible of the man i suppose the big climactic end of the film is that they have sort of the shootout with cortez they rescue two of the soldiers because the whole team reciprocity of being basically been left for dead and killed so, russell did you enjoy like the shootout at the end because i think as i was saying for, for me earlier you know as we're touching on cortez is a bit of a dumb dumb a bit of a 2d villain i was a bit disappointed in how i suppose how quickly he was dispatched not that i was expecting him to you know become some kind of like power rangers megazord of like columbian robotic animals or something would would be cool would be cool if that's how <laughs> would it ends. be a much would be a much better film jack Ryan, face down in cocaine <laughs> <laughs> charges up the american eagle megazord like comes into play um five american <laughs> eagles i felt like a bit wind out of the sails that he was sort of taken out by the sniper obviously they set up chavez the sniper as like you know the elite sniper so it was like okay it's understandable that he made the shot because we know he can do it but did you want a bit more from the finale i know again touched on the fact it's not that kind of out and out action film but it has action sequences but Mm. um was that okay for you did you think it could have been anything more not sure anymore but it is quick it is like it within 15 20 minutes of jack ryan turning up to save them he's got a helicopter what i did like was him just waving around his uh, cia id wherever he went like he said i'm from the cia and it's like there's nothing covert about what he's doing at this point he's just being very open and and like yeah. there's nothing uh it's not <laughs> yeah. good spycraft what i think he's doing here but yeah like in terms of like the final action it's it's fine i don't think that the director whose name escapes me right now is yeah i i've looked i've seen some of his other films i don't think he's a great action director i think he's much better at like the quiet conversations in the rooms and maybe that's what I, how i want it to end is a quiet conversation in a room this is just the colombians are very easily dispatched at this point and given so i i think that the bit where they blow up the house is quite tense and it's quite drawn out whereas this feels a bit too easy and there's a bit that maybe defoe's character is going to leave ryan behind but that doesn't happen and I, I feel there's kind of a scene missing where we get more of Defoe's transition from being the grey man that he is to an out-and-out heroic sidekick for uh, Ryan. Yeah, I think there's something missing in that transition. Like, it kind of just these jumps. And I think that encompasses the entire finale, which just feels like this like jump. They have to end it with a big bang. So this is how it Very ends. Very 90s to do so. And I think there's a whole, like, integral film there about Defoe and his drug-addled pilot friend. 
I wanted to know more about that guy um, who's either asleep or face down in a pile of white powder. But I suppose as we've been sort of discussing as well, sort of the ending of the film, which again, if the last, if the preceding two and a half hours of the movie haven't made it clear that Jack Ryder is the ultimate undisruptible, uncorruptible American man. Uh, so he confronts the president, sort of refuses to help cover up the conspiracy. He tells the president that he's going to report him to the Senator uh, Oversight Committee, which he bloody well does, the absolute rat bastard um so one thing i noticed at the end as well is that and i watched this again with subtitles confirm but the judge who brings ryan into the room absolutely announces him as dr john ryan <laughs> um fee fi with the film ending and i know we sort of said maybe the film would have been better as different things and i suppose for you petros did you sort of like it that sort of quieter ending of like ryan in that courtroom um being an absolute grass or do you think it should have ended some other way yeah it should it should i think i think just having an ambiguous ending of like even if it's them on the chopper fade to credits there do you know what i mean like jack ryan got out or like him confronting people and him it going to like a courtroom if a film like in the kind of final moment starts going to a courtroom it does make you think oh shit we got another half hour in this do you know what I mean is it going to be like a whole, a whole is it a secret courtroom drama all of a sudden yeah. and it feels like a bit of a cop out to kind of like get to that to get to that place i don't know even him confronting the president probably would have been a better place to end it and like some kind of clever dialogue to kind of insinuate like I could just get away with this anyway. Do you know what I mean? Or like, I don't know, some news footage. I don't think we need the courtroom scene. Mm, and for yourself, Russ? I think I just, and maybe I'm more cynical than the film is. Maybe that's my problem here is that I'm more cynical. So I know the history of America in the last 50 or so years is Senate investigations into things that presidents do wrong and nothing really coming of it. Like since Watergate, they've had multiple like investigations into presidents. I think every president has been investigated. I mean, the last one was impeached twice. So it's just, it feels a bit like it's saying at the end that the American system always gets its guy. And I'm a bit like, well, actually it doesn't always get its guy. Hold on. Mm. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. I don't mind it ending on the court scene. I don't mind it ending on an argument with the president. I don't mind it being in Colombia with the, helicopter flying off i guess my problem with the film is that the last 20 minutes is entirely more optimistic than anything that has happened would indicate it should be like this is a film about a dirty war against a colombian drug cartel it should be dark and cynical and uncomfortable to watch and ending it with jack ryan being the ultimate uh, boy scout and going in front of a judge to tell the truth it works for a jack ryan film but for the film that it really is no it should be a bit more um nastier or a bit more like ambiguous yeah i i think it's the last 20 minutes for me that i have an issue with that it needs to be more ambiguous it needs to end with soldiers dead and jack ryan knowing the truth and nothing coming of it the dark seedy underbelly of american politics it's good to know that so much has changed in the 30 years since this movie came out well, I think that certainly brings us towards the end of the uh, discussion on clear and present danger. How we like to end our discussions on films, you know, with our final thoughts on them, to go around all of us and basically ask in terms of a rating, do we find this film to be defriend or defoe? Uh, and I'll, th I'll throw it to our, um, our delightful guest, uh, Russell Bailey, first. Clear and present danger for you, Russell, defriend or defoe? Oh, defriend or defoe. I... 
I think it's an uncomfortable defriend. I think it is a uh, potential enemy that becomes your defriend by the end. Yeah, I think this is is a that soft sounds like friend. a uh, acquaintance. Uh, is what <laughs> the option C we the option C we didn't it didn't um, think of. Um, Petros himself. This is definitely a defriend for me. Like especially looking at for it through the 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 Defoe lens kind of what he's doing he very much is and this is a this is a perfect film to be like is he himself to friend or Defoe within it which I feel like is something we should be looking at as well right kind of charting him as to friend or Defoe is he a kind of is he a force for good or a force for bad but yeah he is he is ultimately a defriend to Jack Ryan at the end of this and I think the film is very much a three-star defriend, not a stinker, <laughs> as we'll, we'll we'll probably come to see throughout this. <laughs> well, I think I would have to make it a three for three and say that this, I think for me, the film is a defriend. I think Willem Dafoe is defriend in this for me. You know, I'm like I said right at the top of this, I'm enamoured by very simple things. And as soon as I realised he was getting blonder as the film went on, I was like, yeah, I'm in can't go but can't go wrong with that so it's a bit of a friend for me i think it's made me intrigued to sort of see the the the, the ryan sort of verse films preceding this as well because i i enjoyed the film and as we got with the defects at the start audiences loved this film as well but did big big box office and i thought based on the the most successful book of not just the 1980s uh 1989 as well so you know a lot going for this film so it's it's a three for three defriend on clear and present danger here today. Um, so with that said, on that bombshell, with that in the bag, it's time for us to wrap up here on getting Defoe you. I hope we've gotten to know Defoe a little bit better today. Leaves it to say, Russell Bailey, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And for the dear listeners... Uh, where can we find you on the socials and such? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Russ Loves Movies. That's where I post any sort of writing or podcast prints I do. I have my own podcast called Not Just for Kids, which is currently looking at modern animation. So we'll be talking about at least one Defoe film in that. Yeah, so find me there. Uh, find me on Twitter or find me in your podcast feeds. Uh, amazing. So it's just left for ourselves, me and Petros, to say goodbye. So from me, thank you very much for listening. And me also. <laughs> um, and, you know, as we're, we're working on our sign-off as well. So um, I've been Daryl Edge. I've been Petros Matsilovus. And I've been Russell Bailey. Yes, and we've been... Getting, getting to phone you. you! Nailed it! <laughs> And there we go, episode four in the history books, screen printed right on your computer forevermore to be uh, feverishly printed out in an absolute <laughs> 90s CIA computer tech nerd battle. So we've come to the end of our CIA investigation and ramblings into the internal enemies within. Uh, what did what did you make of it all, Petros? Yeah, it, it's kind of... It... I'm not sure if it's one that I'll be revisiting anytime soon, even though I did say I was a, a, a friend of this film. It's made me want to go back to check out the previous and the subsequent Jack Ryan adventures. Maybe maybe, maybe by season two, I'll be fully Clancy-pilled and I'll be, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be shouting from the rooftops. I'll be, oh, bloody Clancy! I'm a Tom Clancy man! <laughs> there could be a couple of fancy Clancy's <laughs> up in here. That'll be... <laughs> great uh yeah but like we say obviously our 
Defrendify. It's not a sliding scale, but I think it's it, it, hard, to, hard to defoe this one, but it's a, it's a light defrend all the way around. And I'm totally game for more um, ever getting blonder for reasons defoe in <laughs> movies as well. What an ability. What a skill to have for 1990s defoe. Yeah. Um, I hope we get more of that in this decade for him as well. Lemon juice hair. Hopefully, hopefully that is a... <laughs> I, I like to think, from from my mind's eye, I'm thinking Speed 2, something that we ended up talking about in this episode, inevitably, uh, oh, yes. <laughs> as, as I imagine we will do on many an episode before we get to that film. But yeah, I, yeah, I remember him having kind of bleach blondy or kind of sun-bleached hair, should I say, in, in that one. So let's, yeah, I'm, I'm all for the kind of sun bleaching of Defoe as we go through this journey. You know, the journey's going to take many roads, many forks, uh, and I'm here for the cutlery table of life that is Defoe's filmography. Give me the forks, give me the knives, give me the spoons, give me the sporks. I'll take them all. But obviously, with that dining analogy said and set there, we know what we've had. Well, I want to know what's coming up. Petros, what have we got coming up next week? Oh, well, next week, we're getting sexy, baby. We're, we're heading to... No- we're taking a step back to 1993 and looking at the erotic thriller starring the one and only... Madonna alongside our man Willem Dafoe. Oh, baby. In Body of Evidence, where we'll be joined by Rich and Kat from the Don't You Want Me podcast to discuss, yeah, all things sexiness with Dafoe. Maybe this is where we get into how sexy is Dafoe. I don't think we've, up until this point, we've really got into how much of a, a sexy man he is. And there is there is, there is a sexy quality. Oh, no, I, I say that Alice on episode two, I think, said there is a... There is a sexy edge to him, so hopefully we'll be getting deeper into that sexual energy of 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 Defoe. I hope so. On the halfway point, what a time to do it as well in season one. Get into you know we've had some action based Defoe, and now it's time to get to some sexy Defoe as well. All bases covered on the journey into uh, all things Defoe and the Defoe commotion train. Um, but with that all said, Petros, I know you, I know you plugged it right at the top, but just in case they're forgotten, uh, where can the listeners find us on the interwebs and on the socials? How can they get in touch with us? Well, obviously you're listening to this on a pod chaser of your choice, so that may be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, wherever you're listening to us. If that place has a rating and review system, just 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 head on over, write a little rating. Write a rating. Don't even don't even give it one. Write the rating in the review section as well. But yeah, give us a nice five stars and uh, share us with your friends and one of the ways that you can share us with your friends is by going on to twitter and or instagram at defoe pod where yeah you can share the episode you can share the clips you can join the defoe motion train there's plenty of carriages there's plenty of space for all of you so hop aboard choo-choo baby wonderful stuff so lots to look forward to as we move on the uh the journey the quest to get to know willem dafoe whereas ever i'll be hopefully uh you know we're not going off the rails too soon because we've still got so much to cover we're covering as you well know the highs the lows and all things willem dafoe right here on getting dafoe you a dedicated dafoe podcast but until then we'll catch you next time so until then until then bye-bye for now Getting to know you, getting to know all about Willem. 
Getting to like you by watching all your films Getting to foe you will start with Heaven's Gate And we'll watch them all till the present day